Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine and sponsored by Steer. Broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined by Dr. Peter Ward, a former government scientist discussing the 2019 crisis in climate science. So you don't want to miss that. But before we get to Peter, I'd like to talk to you quickly about our latest issue of Shell Magazine, in which our cover is Amy Cronus, Managing Partner for Deloitte. This is our dedicated issue to women in the energy industry, and it's a fabulous read with amazing women. I encourage you to go to shalemag.com, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G, and learn all about Amy Deloitte and all the other really inspiring and amazing women in this issue of Shell Magazine. I'd also like to remind our listeners that we are getting ready for our State of Energy in Houston. Please join us on July 18th at the Omni Westside Hotel. Our keynote speaker will be former Secretary of Interior Ryan Zinke. This will be a sold-out luncheon. I encourage you for more information to go to shellmag.com. Click on the link for State of the Energy Houston and we'll see you there. And now it's time to bring on the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's a beautiful day in Texas. I couldn't agree more with you. Let's jump in to uh, some questions that have come in. And of course, uh, there's also been a lot of activity once again this week in the markets uh, and also uh, obviously in oil and gas. First things first, OPEC plus these countries, they met in Vienna and they agreed to extend their export limitation agreement through the end of this year. So what does this mean for the oil market? Well, um, that's a good question. Hopefully it means that uh, over the longer term, we uh, have more stability in in crude prices going forward. I think it does. Uh, the, The market responded. On the day the deal was announced negatively, and the oil price dropped about $3 a barrel. Right. Um, I was going to ask you about that. But then it stabilized. And then, you know, I think that uh, over the longer term, uh, it it probably means we're going to have some firming up uh, of crude prices up so that WTI is closer to $60 a barrel. I think the market had priced in. Uh, the thought that OPEC, in addition to extending their their current quotas, might actually uh, uh, put in some place some additional cuts in exports, because um, there's still some thought uh, in the markets that the market may be oversupplied and concern about demand uh, in the future for crude oil. So they had priced that in, and when it didn't happen, you know, we had that quick price drop, and so. Uh, but I just think as, as the days and weeks go on, we'll, we'll see the price firm up again. Very interesting. Good news, um, uh, all things considered. Let's uh, talk about the announcement of, from Weatherford. And there had been a lot of discussion, speculation that they were going to go into bankruptcy. And of course, today, one of the biggest oil fill service companies declared 
bankruptcy being Weatherford. So what do you think happened here? And do you think that we are heading into another round of bankruptcies like we saw in 2015 and 16? Uh, you, know, I, you know, you know, we had a, a Deloitte on the other day uh, and we were specifically talking about mergers, acquisitions, and of course, seeing would we see more bankruptcies. And um, they had an interesting take. What's yours? Well, I, you know, I don't think we're headed into any period of time like 2015 and 2016, and you know, unless we have just another huge collapse in, in crude prices that that lingers on for three years, like we, you know, did back during the during those days. Uh, Weatherford had gotten itself overextended, unfortunately. You know, when the price of crude was spent several years up around $100, $90 to $100. They had made some acquisitions in which they had to incur substantial amount of, of corporate debt in order to finance them. And, and then the price collapsed and uh, their customer base kind of went away as everyone's did for, for two, three years. And they just couldn't, ultimately, they were not able to sustain that level of debt and, and get out of it, climb their way out of it. As, as the market improved. And so, you know, it's, it's similar to you when we, when we did have all those bankruptcies in the upstream sector in 2015 and 16, you know, it was, it's kind of a similar story to that. Companies had taken on a lot of debt when oil prices were high and then when the, the crude price collapsed, uh, they were unable to meet their obligations. And so, unfortunately, that's happened to Weatherford. And, uh, Hopefully, they'll be able to reorganize it in a way that allows them uh, to come out of the bankruptcy process here in about a year uh, as a streamlined company that's uh, better able to, to do its business and, and sustain, its, sustain its business through the years. Interesting. Well, you know, we had a, a new report also that came out from the EIA this week that uh, said that U.S. Has produced an all-time record high of oil in the month of April. And actually, it's gone over the 12 million barrel per, uh, per day mark for the first time. And well, the EIA is also Im implying that the U.S. industry could be producing as much as 20 million barrels per day uh, just in the next five years. And that seems like a lot. So what do you, <laughs> sure do you, is this is this a real reality potentially? I, I, you know, I, I tend to be skeptical of that. There, there's so many ups and downs in, in the oil business. Um, you know, if, and of course, there, uh, EIA and, and, and all these analyst groups like Rystad Energy and BP with their, with their annual report, they do all these economic modeling processes and make a bunch of assu uh, assumptions on how, you know, the market conditions that are going to exist over a span of however many years they're looking at. And so, you know, the EIA uh, probably assumed pretty stable prices over the next five years in order to, to get to that kind of production growth. And I, you know, I just don't think we can assume that, that crude prices are just going to kind of hang around $60 WTI for the next five years to enable that kind of production growth. And, and the oil industry is, a, is an industry, unfortunately, and always has been, of booms and busts, ups and downs. And, and so I just think when you really assess the true nature of this industry, while it's kind of fun to make projections like that, I think the real nature of this business probably means that we're probably not going to get to 20 million barrels a day in the year 2024. I do, I do think we ultimately will 
reach that level sometime in the latter 2020s, probably, because, you know, shale oil here in the U.S. is the future of the market. It's where the rising production is globally. And uh, so I do think that eventually the U.S. will be producing at that level. I just think that's kind of baked into the card right now. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's exactly, David, why we have you join every week. But for now, David, that's all the time we have for this segment with you. And I look forward to having you on next week. But when we return from break, we will be joined by Dr. Peter Ward, a former government scientist discussing the 2019 crisis in climate science. So you don't want to miss that. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And we'll be right back. In the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute, produced by shalemag.com. Weatherford, one of the industry's oldest and largest oil fill service company, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection on Monday. Led by Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Russia, the OPEC Plus nations agreed on Tuesday to extend their export limitation agreement through the end of 2019. The nations will plan to meet again in late November to determine the direction of their deal for 2020. The participating nations will also ratify a new chapter that will set the framework for technical meetings and summit meetings in the future. Markets reacted to the OPEC Plus by dropping crude prices by more than $3 per barrel. Traders had hoped that the countries would agree to further production cuts in addition to extending their deal. Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com. Join Shell Magazine and In the Oil Patch Radio Show in partnership with local and regional partners and organizations to get an update on the state of the energy industry. The State of Energy event is being held on July 18, 2019 from 10.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. at the Omni Houston Westside Hotel. State of Energy's keynote speaker for the luncheon is former U.S. Secretary of the Interior Ryan Zinke. Visit shellmag.com and click State of Energy on the main menu for more information about the event, to purchase tickets, and for sponsorship opportunities. You can also call 210-240-7188 for more details. So join us at the State of Energy Luncheon, July 18th, 2019 at 1030 a.m. at the Omni Houston Westside Hotel. Seats and tables are going fast, so be sure to visit shellmag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com before it's too late. See you there. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. 
the Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Throughout our efforts in Washington, D.C. and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. Back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellato, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We will be joined by Dr. Peter Ward, who is a scientist, a former government scientist who has worked for more than 27 years for the United States Geological Survey and as a geophysicist branch chief and program manager. Whew, that's a lot. Dr. Ward, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Kim. You know, you have so much that you have accomplished uh, all these different places you've worked. You've been a former scientist for the government. You've also worked a long time in uh, geophysics, uh, program manager, branch chief. Um, so this would make you definitely an expert, but I want to cover some of the uh, things that you have done uh, as far as you have testified to Congress before, and you have chaired a committee at the White House. Um, you have also been on a committee for, for, for Vice President Gore, published more than 50 scientific papers. You've also won two national awards for explaining science to the general public, so I'm so happy to have you on the show, and you now finally have retired. So that being said, uh, we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about the huge, huge topic, very controversial topic of climate change. Uh, So I'm excited to uh, get on that topic with you. Now we ran into you, you were actually speaking here in San Antonio. You uh, were speaking at a 2019 crisis in climate science uh, here in the San Antonio for the American uh, Association for Petroleum Geologists here at the Henry B. Gonzalez Center in San Antonio. Tell me a little bit about why you wanted to come and speak at this topic, what were you called in for to discuss pertaining to global warming? Well, I retired back in 1998, and in 2006, I discovered something that just didn't make sense. And when I looked at it and looked at the data that was available, I said, if I could figure this out, this might just be important. And so I've dedicated my full life in retirement since 2006 to trying to figure it out. And this turned out to be very important. So what is the problem? What, what I observed was in data that had been collected 
from drill hole in the summit of Greenland going down through the ice where they could very accurately get each layer and date each layer. What they found was that the, when the period of the greatest warming at the end of the last ice age coincided exactly with the period of the of greatest volcanic activity recorded in the Greenland ice. Now, I've been a volcanologist all my life, and I know, as the most climate scientists, that volcanoes cause cooling. Big explosive volcanoes like Mount Pinatubo in 1991 form an aerosol in the lower uh, stratosphere, and this reflects sunlight and causes a cooling of Earth of about a half a degree centigrade, nearly a degree Fahrenheit, for three years. So when I saw these data, I said, wait a minute, how could volcanoes cause warming and cooling? And I started working on it. And the more I worked on it, uh, the more clear it became that there were two very different kinds of volcanoes. And the more I started questioning greenhouse warming theory, I began to realize, wait a minute, there's some real problems with greenhouse warming theory. This just doesn't make sense. And so I now can say, as of a couple of years ago, that it's physically impossible for greenhouse gases to explain the global warming that we're observing. And uh, as you mentioned to begin with, the whole question of climate change is very hotly contested these days. And everybody seems to have a strong opinion on one side or the other, some of which are based on science, some of which are based on politics, and some of which are based on just opinion. And so anyway, I've been going to many professional uh, meetings uh, for the last several years where I have a booth in the exhibit hall. And I'm one of the, I'm the only scientist in the exhibit hall. The exhibit hall is mainly for commercial vendors. I'm the only scientist that's had a booth where I can sell my book and discuss with people uh, climate change. And in fact, I talked to over 300 people at the American uh, Association of Petroleum Geologists, and most of them were very interested in what I had to say. Well, let, let's, let me back up real quick and just, so, so we have an, a general understanding because I think geologists, scientists, climate change experts kind of assume that everyone on the planet really understands how we've come to this climate change crisis. So like the scientific uh, method behind, just kind of give us an idea of how do scientists come up with we have a global warming climate change problem? Is it like a whole bunch of scientists get in a room and they, you know, pick the best agenda that fits whoever is uh, wanting to get something out of it, of, of who brings these scientists together, um, the government, is it uh, how they have selected certain scientists to come in and study this data? Is it collected from universities? Is it all of these things included? I mean, who who has said we have a real big issue with climate change? Who are the experts telling us this? Well, there's a long history. And in science, we build upon what we've learned from the past. And we tend to build upon... Uh, we think of some of the uh, past scientists as, as having just made certain discoveries. We build on those discoveries. Sometimes we come along and find out, or usually a single person comes along and finds out, wait a minute, those discoveries are not quite correct. Now, in terms of global warming, uh, Fourier said way back in 1822 that if the Earth is absorbing a whole lot of heat from the sun, 
and losing a whole lot of heat in the space, if you slow down the loss of heat, Earth must get hotter. And then in 1859, John Tyndall, an Irish physicist, measured in the laboratory that greenhouse gases, particularly carbon dioxide, methane, and water vapor, absorb infrared energy from Earth. And so an assumption was made, starting way back in 1859, that if greenhouse gases absorb infrared energy from Earth, they must get hotter. It turns out it's never actually been proven. Never actually has there an experiment done in the laboratory or in the field that shows that if greenhouse gases absorb infrared energy, they get hotter. And in fact, I've done an experiment that shows they don't. When we come back from break, Dr. Ward, I want to get on that experiment as well as going back to 1859. But we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Dr. Peter Ward, a scientist for more than 27 years. Uh, Dr. Ward, before the break, you were discussing the fact that since 1859, there was an assumption that was made that kind of set the course for how we look at climate change today. And you have challenged that. So let's get back on that topic. What did you, what are you challenging on that 1859 uh, assumption? The basic idea from 1859 was that greenhouse gases are observed to absorb some energy radiated by Earth, and therefore they must make Earth warmer. And the whole greenhouse gas theory built from that assumption in 1859. In uh, 1896, Arrhenius uh, worked out some mathematics for estimating that. Uh, in 1900, actually, uh, Angstrom showed that it didn't work. But then in 1938, the scientists brought it all back again. And over the last many decades, many, many scientists have been absolutely convinced the greenhouse gases uh, are causing the warming. And they've been looking at data and, and quantifying the data with that basic assumption. But Dr. Ward, thinking about the scientist that has been pulled from 1859, when they had no way of, of conducting any real scientific testing is what we're currently bringing forward as the data that we are still supporting this. So please go on that you have found something different because I find that baffling that we're still using that data. Well, actually, you know, in the, in the, 19, in the 1850s to the 1900s, Physicists did a whole lot of very good experiments, and they, they did a lot of laboratory work, a lot of work out in the air, measuring uh, different things about temperature, different things about how heat flows, different things about radiation. And the big problem we've gotten to today is climate change has gotten to be a major political issue, a major financial issue, and it's all based on this assumption that 
greenhouse gases are the explanation. Now, you asked earlier what scientists do, how they go about doing it or whatever, that there have been many, many scientists who have worked very hard summarizing the temperature data uh, that's all available for the last 150 years or whatever. And there are, there are hundreds of thousands of temperature readings. And when they analyze these in various ways, they've come up with an average temperature for Earth for each year. Um, and there's four different groups that have done this, and they all basically agree. And there are some people that quibble, but what it clearly shows is there's been a warming of about a degree centigrade, almost uh, two degrees Fahrenheit, uh, since 1970, or that basic region, and that the warming seemed to have started way back at the beginning of the Industrial Age, back in the 1800s. And with the, the, then with that warming observed, the question is, what is the cause of it? And the predominant idea has been greenhouse gases. And what I can now show is that it's actually physically impossible for the greenhouse gases to cause the observed warming. But meanwhile, we have a consensus quote unquote, among a very large number of scientists, people estimated as 96% or 98% or whatever, the greenhouse gases are the cause. And what broke down, the science broke down here. And um, I come along and trying to track down this problem about the volcanoes, started asking questions about some of the assumptions that are made that everybody accepts today as fact. And what I discovered going through shelves of books, over 10,000 professional papers, um, doing just, I mean, what was wonderful is I was retired. I uh, did, I was self-funded. I didn't have to, I could just follow my instinct wherever it went. My, my, I just had a curiosity. I got to figure this out. And um, I was able to get the space and the time when I discovered something that didn't make sense. I could spend months tracking that down. And it turns out in the end that, that I can show quite clearly to the consternation of most other scientists that we've made a mistake here, folks. And it's time to realize that there is another explanation for climate change that is much better than greenhouse gases. And that the computer models that we hear about that are predicting very hot temperatures decades in the future are based on mistaken science and mistaken mathematics. So what I can now say is we can burn fossil fuel as much as we want, and we can burn it safely without overheating Earth, but we do need to control pollution. Well, Dr. Ward, that's a, that's a very, very big topic when we talk about pollution. When we come back from break, I want to get back into uh, what is that type of pollution that, that we need to uh, be more mindful of. But we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Agreco has been powering the Permian Basin for over 10 years, supporting Permian producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. Agreco supports power systems as small as a single 200 kilowatt to as large as a 50 megawatt power plant. So when your utility power is delayed, call on Agreco to engineer a diesel, natural gas, or battery solution to fit your needs. We have immediate availability right here in the Permian Basin. Call 1-800-AGRECO or online agreco.com. 
back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Dr. Ward. Dr. Ward, before the break, you had uh, said that uh, there seems to be some faulty science going on with climate change, and you believe that you have found uh, a real solution as to what we need to do in working in the way to um, combat this change. So you mentioned pollution. So let's get into that. What kind of pollution is really the cause of the problem here with uh, climate change? Well, uh, when we burn fossil fuels, uh, there's a bunch of pollution. We used to have a real acid rain problem in the United States back in the seven, uh, 1970s time frame. Uh, and what it is is sulfur dioxide. When you burn uh, particularly coal and oil, uh, there's also a small particulate matter that uh, can get in the lungs and cause major problems. And there's a number of other gases. And in the United States, we've done a pretty good job of uh, minimizing pollution. Uh, and these are what many of the regulations are we hear about that are out there now. Another major pollution is was known as bad ozone. It's, it's ozone that's generated because of uh, industrial uh, processes and because of uh, automobiles uh, and it's a very uh, it's a it's a toxic substance that is not good for for humans anyway in the united states we've done a pretty good job with pollution but in china you see all these pictures of people walking around with with masks uh face masks uh in india in all of uh southeast asia especially there's several million people a year dying early because of air pollution so what I was saying earlier is that I can now show that greenhouse gases are not the cause of global warming. We can burn all the fossil fuel we want, but we need to control that kind of pollution. And when you say that we need to control that kind of pollution, but you also say we can burn all the fossil fuels that we want. In my mind, I'm going to, to me, there is there's coal, there is uh, crude oil, and there is natural gas. Uh, and so when you say, I need some clarification, what do you specifically mean by we can burn all the fossil fuels we want, but coal is in, in we are moving away from coal in, in a lot of ways. What specifically can we do that would be the cleaner way of using the you know fossil fuels? Well, we know, especially in the United States, we know and we have the equipment and it's installed in most places that take most of the pollution out of the air. Uh, related to fossil fuels for coal, for power plants, for industrial processes. And sulfur dioxide, which turns to sulfuric acid in the atmosphere, is one of the biggest causes. And we brought that under control. We know what to do. You just have to pay a little extra. You have to buy the appropriate equipment and you have to run it appropriately. Um, So, again, what I'm saying is worldwide in Southeast Asia, this is a much bigger problem. Now, there are certain things in the United States we could do a little better, and this is where the Environmental Protection Agency comes in and what the regulations are, and we need to work on that. But still, what we can't do at the moment is get the CO2 out of the uh, burning process of burning fossil fuels, and I'm saying CO2 doesn't matter. It's not a pollutant. Interesting. Well, you know, one of the things that was um, interesting was when President Trump was elected and he uh, got the United States out of the Paris Climate Accord. And um, one of the interesting things to me was the fact that from what 
I remember of the accord, it was the United States would need to come on uh, on board quickly with a lot of uh, money and uh, changes. But other countries that were much bigger polluters like China and India that you mentioned, um, we're not going to have to change and modify really hardly anything for up to 20 years. And with, with you saying that we, you know, they have the biggest issues in my mind, I'm like the United States has usually always been the leader in the area of, uh, you know, oil and gas and fuels, uh, fossil fuels and helping other countries become more environmentally friendly as to how to process things properly. So is there in your mind, what's the fix in that area? I know you said we have equipment, but was what's your opinion on was did we do the right thing as far as pulling out of the climate accord? Did it really have any uh, real meaning in there when we looked at the different countries that were not having to really do anything to help in this area and then more importantly also where do we go from here with your new data what would you like to see happen well the most important thing about the paris uh, agreement is that most countries agreed to work together to try to reduce the warming of earth and to try to keep it to less than two degrees centigrade so it was it's the one forum we have in the world for all of us to work together to improve the climate. The problem is the Paris Accord is an agreement to reduce greenhouse gases. And what I'm showing now is greenhouse gases are, they're not the problem. So, so the fact is that the countries are going to have to change what they do under the Paris Accord. But anyway, the Paris Accord at the moment uh, is not, actually all that valuable because we do not have to reduce uh, greenhouse gases. And that is what, what that accord is all about. We're in a very interesting position here where the scientists working very hard over many decades have convinced the world and themselves that greenhouse gases are the cause of global warming and that it's going to get very hot within a few decades. And if we don't reduce the greenhouse gas emissions, the world is going uh, to get much more dangerous. The scientists believe this very strongly based on the best data they have. But what I'm showing is a revolution in science. I'm showing that there was a mistake made and that this is probably the most expensive and the most politically expensive and economically expensive mistake ever made in science. Greenhouse gases cannot physically be the cause of global warming. Well, Dr. Ward, we're going to take a quick break. But when we return, I'd like to get into the solution. Since it's not greenhouse gases, what is it that we can do to alter this, change it? Where do we need to move? And then, of course, I do want to cover your book, which is very interesting. What really caused global warming, greenhouse gases, and ozone depletion? Uh, but we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to and the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Hi, this is Kim Bilotto, host of In the Oil Patch Radio Show, starting every second Saturday of the month at 2 p.m. We will have a live call-in show in which 
John Tatera, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, will be joining me in studio to answer all your questions. The call-in live line is 210-526-3656. If you want more information on how to call in live or the phone number again, be sure to email us at radio at shalemag.com or just go to our Facebook page in the Oil Patch Radio Show. You'll find the information there as well. back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto. We have a great guest today. We have Dr. Peter Ward, who is a former government scientist and has been a scientist for more than 27 years. Um, Dr. Ward, before the break, we were discussing the problem is not greenhouse gases, in your opinion, in your uh, uh, experienced opinion. However, you are claiming that you have the answer as to what we need to do to address global warming. So let's begin there. What is it that we need to do to begin uh, working towards finding a solution for our climate situation? Well, I mentioned earlier this uh, enigma, how could volcanoes cause both warming and cooling? And to make a long story short, it turns out explosive volcanoes that form these aerosols that reflect sunlight cause cooling. And when you get four, five, six of these big explosive volcanoes every century, and this goes on for tens of thousands of years, that's what cools the world down into an ice age. The other type of volcano, the basaltic volcanoes, like we see in Hawaii, where the lava just flows out over the land, but ones that are much bigger than Hawaii, we find out all through history, whenever we saw a big lava flow, we got major warming. For example, 251 million years ago, there was a lava flow in Siberia that was almost the size of the United States. Just imagine black basaltic lava all the way from New York to San Francisco. It was a, the oceans became hot tub temperatures, 104 degrees Fahrenheit. They became highly acidic. More than 92% of all ocean species went extinct. All through geologic time, whenever we find major warming, we find evidence of major basaltic lava flows. For example, in, uh, in Idaho, the uh, Craters of the Moon National Monument, those basalts were active about 200 BC, which was the Roman warm period, when the world got so warm that Hannibal was able to drive his elephants up over the Alps. So anyway, as we compare it all through history, uh, recent history and through Earth history, uh, basaltic volcanoes appear to cause warming. How do they do it? Well, it turns out they emit very large amounts of chlorine and bromine. And when you get just one atom of chlorine up into the atmosphere, into the lower stratosphere, you can destroy 100,000 molecules of ozone. Now, ozone is a gas that's created over and over and over again. An individual molecule only lasts about eight days. And in the creation, uh, it ends up causing warming of the atmosphere. And it's this, this process um, with the ozone that when you deplete the ozone, the ultraviolet energy from the sun that normally causes this warming reaches Earth. The ozone layer protects life on Earth because the ultraviolet D radiation from the sun causes sunburn, cataracts, skin cancer. It's hot stuff, hot, nasty stuff. And most of the time, 
not much of it reaches Earth. But when you deplete the ozone layer, more of it reaches Earth. And we observe this. We measure this. So the cause of global warming, I say, is depletion of the ozone layer. Now, for proof of that, man did a grand experiment, not intentionally, but in the 1960s, we produced a lot of chlorofluorocarbon gases, CFC gases. These became very important as propellants and spray cans. Remember, in 1970, you could buy almost anything in a spray can. They became important as refrigerants, like Freon, because uh, they were much safer than any of the other refrigerants. So in the 1960s, we started producing a large amount of CFCs. In 1970, depletion of the ozone layer started to increase. Temperatures started to increase. In 1974, two scientists discovered that these CFCs, when they get high up into the stratosphere, are broken down by ultraviolet light from the sun and release atoms of chlorine and deplete the ozone layer. And in fact, these two scientists got the Nobel Prize for that in chemistry a number of years later. Then in 1985, we discovered the Antarctic ozone hole. And scientists realized, oh my gosh, this ozone depletion is much worse than we thought. By that time, they had educated political leaders to the potential problem. And by 1987, under the UN, the Montreal Protocol uh, on substances that deplete the ozone layer was passed, restricting the manufacturing of CFCs. This went into effect in January of 1989. And sure enough, by 1993, the increase in CFCs in the atmosphere stopped. By 1995, the increase in uh, ozone depletion stopped. By 1998, the increase in temperature stopped. So man, accidentally, by manufacturing CFCs, had caused the global warming from 1970 to 1998 of about six-tenths of a degree centigrade. Uh, and that man, by accident, had stopped the global warming by passing the Montreal Protocol. So the, the fact is that we have, we cause warming, we have solved the problem with the warming, but there still are some things that we need to do. Unfortunately, there was a major uh, industry in China that we just discovered recently was still producing CFCs, and this was slowing down the recovery. There's also a, a a large number of old refrigerators in the developing part of the world that still need the CFCs to operate. So the black market in CFCs. Anyway, there are many things we can do to improve the, the, the recovery of the earth to the warming that was caused by the CFC gases. And that's where we need to put the emphasis, not on greenhouse gases. Well, Dr. Ward, it has been a pleasure to talk to you today on the show. And, of course, to really get down to the brass tacks, what is the problem with the climate? I encourage everyone to go and get your book. It's What Really Causes Global Warming, Green Gases, or the Depletion, Ozone Depletion. Yes, it's What Really Causes Global Warming, Greenhouse Gases or Ozone Depletion. It's available on Amazon. It's available on my website, whyclimatechanges.com. You can also go to physically-impossible.com. And it explains very cogently why greenhouse gas theory is physically impossible. 
Very good. Again, that website is whyclimatechanges.com. Dr. Ward, thank you for being a guest today on our show. We look forward to having you back. Please come back if you have any more updates. Well, thank you, Kim. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's all the time that we have for this show, but please be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch. Or follow us on Twitter at ShellMag. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G. And if you have any questions for me, or if you have questions on oil and gas, I encourage you to email me at radio at shellmag.com. That's going to wrap up another great show. See you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then, adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.